This is God's holy and infallible word, Matthew 8, beginning at verse 28. When Jesus arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, including what happened to the demon-possessed men. And then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. That's God's word for us this morning. We move from last week in the stilling of the storm miracle, Jesus showing his absolute power over the natural world, to Jesus displaying his absolute power over the supernatural world too. And as we'll see over the course of the sermon, that power of Jesus is exhibited in two stages over the course of history. This power over the course of history. Uh, Four thoughts related to that thought and related to our text. First of all, we see in this miracle that Jesus meets Satan's cohorts. Satan's cohorts, these demons. After the stilling of the storm, uh, Jesus and the disciples continued across the the lake, across Galilee, to the other side. That's what we read in verse 28. And that'd be the eastern shore... And we read that's the region of the Gadarenes. Uh, This was primarily a Gentile region. In other words, uh, close to Israel right there, but non-Jewish. And we know that from history. We know that from the Bible. But we also know that because there was a herd of pigs. For the Jews, a pig was... An unclean animal, in fact, the most unclean of all animals. Uh, so Jews uh, did not raise pigs, or if they did, they wouldn't have been a very good Jew, and their Jewish neighbors, no doubt, would put a stop to it. Um, Jews, so that, that's how we know this is a Gentile region, right from our text. And Mark and Luke also record this miracle. They give us more details. What we read from Mark and Luke and Matthew, but especially the further details that Mark and Luke give us, uh, it, it comes across as kind of a spooky, scary picture. We see in Matthew here, these two demon possessed men come out from the tombs, they come out from a, a graveyard. And also, they were so violent that they controlled that whole area. No one dared pass by that way. According to Mark, 
This, this is a little bit of the more detail he gives us. They would wander among the graves day and night, shouting, cutting themselves with rocks. It almost sounds like a, a zombie movie or something, but this is real. And in fact, I'm guessing, you know, the whole idea of, of zombies and whatever, we don't have that in God's Word, but maybe... Uh, people got the whole idea for, for that with demonic stories and recordings in God's Word. We know there are at least two demons because we have two men mentioned, and we get the impression there may have been uh, many, many more who were possessing the men because, again, in Mark and Luke, they're recorded as saying, we are legion, for we are many. A Roman legion was 6,000 men. So we don't know if they were referring to that literally, so that there were like 6,000 of the demons. Either way, uh, whether it was that many, either way there were many, a number of them it seems. Demons are in the service of Satan, the devil, the Bible tells us. And we see Jesus meeting a demon-possessed man for the first time in Matthew, but of course, uh, knowing our whole Bible, we know this was not Jesus' first meeting with satanic forces. You go back to the beginning in Genesis 3, and we read how after God created everything good, Satan showed up in the Garden of Eden to make trouble in the form of a serpent. And he tempted the first people, Adam and Eve, and they fell. And this is how sin and evil came into the world, says God's Word. How Satan got in God's good creation, well, it's a whole nother story, but what we can gather from God's Word is that Satan was one of God's angels, and even uh, probably a chief angel, but he rebelled. He led a rebellion in heaven and fell along with many other angels. These angels who rebelled against God under the leadership of Satan are demons, devils. The Belgic Confession has an article on the spiritual beings, angels, and demons, and you can find that online or in the back of the Blue Psalter in Article 12 of the Belgic Confession. So summarizing God's Word, the Belgic talks about the angels who are God's messengers and who serve the elect. And then it tells us that some of them are fallen. The fallen ones, devils and evil spirits, says the confession, they're so depraved that they are enemies of God and every good thing. And they also want to ruin God's church and every member of it by their wicked strategies, we read. God responds in Genesis 3.14 to Satan's disruption of the good creation by cursing him. And then in the verse after that, verse 15 of Genesis 3, God makes a distinction between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, setting a trajectory going forward of two opposing lines in history. And this comes up often in the Old Testament 
narratives. And, and in the New Testament, the line of Satan and the demons that constantly harasses, attacks, challenges God's people, and, says God, uh, the line of the woman, as he describes it in Genesis 3. God's people. And we see these two opposing lines all throughout history. Sometimes we call that the antithesis, opposition to God, opposition to the church, opposition uh, to God's children. In that same verse, uh, God, who always keeps his promises, promises to destroy Satan. We read there, his head will be crushed. And it turns out, as the Bible goes on, that it's a two-staged crushing of Satan as history moves forward. Jesus' first coming liberates us from Satan's dominion. That first coming uh, that goes from when Jesus first came at Christmas as a little baby, he came out of that line of the woman that God talked about in Genesis 3. It starts there, goes to Jesus' death on the cross, the resurrection, and ends when he ascended into heaven. That coming liberates us from Satan's dominion. We read in the Gospels that, uh, and it's in Matthew 4, it's in the other Gospels, that Jesus personally resists Satan and his temptations in the wilderness as sort of a, a prelude to his public ministry. But, but what about his people? So yeah, it makes sense that Jesus can resist him. Uh, he, he is fully God, but what about his people? Well, this miracle... And the other dominion miracles show us that he comes uh, also uh, to exorcise, as in exorcism, not exercise, that. He comes to exorcise his people. A great hymn says about Satan, one little word shall fell him. And, and we see that in our text in Matthew. All Jesus says is go. And, and this can happen... Uh, because of where Jesus was headed in the near future, to the cross. Because it was at the cross that Satan received a head-crushing blow when Jesus paid uh, uh, for the sin and the death and the evil that sin brought. And he freed us from Satan's power. He freed us from Satan's dominion. The book of Revelation in chapter 20 talks about a thousand-year binding of Satan. At Jesus' first coming in the cross, that happened. Satan's power has been severely limited. And that's why these demons are freaked out. They know their fate is coming because Jesus is on the earth. They know the plan. They know what's going on. He's going to be going to the cross. And uh, if Jesus has arrived, that binding is coming soon. It seems, you know, that these, all these demon possessions and so forth, that they had more of a free reign before Jesus' coming. And all along, though, it wasn't quite a free reign because all along we see, and we see it in the book of Job, Satan needed 
permission from God to wreak his havoc. But now, with Jesus coming, he's even more severely limited. He's, uh, Revelation 20 describes it as being put on a leash for a thousand years. Some people take that thousand years of him being put on a leash literally, a, th- a literal, th- literal thousand years. I and a lot of others think it's a figurative thousand years. It signifies the time between the first coming and the second coming. So that binding of Satan, that's the first stage of the fulfillment of God's promise to crush Satan's head from Genesis 3.15. If that didn't happen, it would be a lot harder for us. Satan and his demons still can do a lot of damage. They tempt us, as we read in the Belgic Confession. Uh, they, they hate God's church and every one of its members. And so they, they tempt us. They, they, they try to trip us up. They're enemies of God. They're enemies of the church. They're enemies of faith, Christian, Reformed church. But they don't have the reach and freedom in the world that they had before Jesus' coming. Now... For anyone who believes in Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, I do not believe that we can be possessed by demons. You don't have to fear that demons will take you over if you belong to Jesus. As our catechism says, we are set free from the tyranny of the devil. Second stage of the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, this promised crushing, that's going to be at Jesus' second coming. Can you put it forward? Yeah, I didn't explain that very well. Then Satan and his entire army will be utterly destroyed. Uh, The demons know about this. And that's what they mean by their appointed time. and, And they're scared of it. They don't want to be sent to hell early. And Jesus doesn't do that here because it's not God's time yet. Jesus sends them into the herd. The herd goes over the cliff. Uh, The pigs die, but presumably that wouldn't have killed the demons. They'd be free uh, to go off and, and cause problems somewhere else. You might say that this final destruction of Satan and the fallen angels... And all who oppose God, all who do not belong to Jesus, is pictured in a way in these poor pigs that were driven off the cliff and died. And from Mark, we're told there were 2,000 pigs, which is incredible. So you can imagine the noise this huge herd made and, and the stink. They say that the only farm animals that smell worse than pigs are chickens. And I can personally uh, attest that that is true. Um, I went to Dort College for two years. It was wonderful. But there were some hog farms close by. Terrible stink. But if you're thinking of going to Dort, just so you know, I'm pretty sure you cannot smell them on campus. But also, 
Um, I know something about chickens and their smell, which are worse than pigs. Years ago, my grandpa Sheringa had a chicken ranch in northwest Indiana. It's actually where I was born, and he sold eggs to stores throughout Chicagoland. And I remember when I was really little, we only lived there till I was like four, but uh, some striking memories. The smell from those chicken buildings was just terrible. And when you walked uh, between the rows of chickens, it was just oppressive. Worse than pigs. But pigs are pretty bad. So you can imagine uh, this picture, the snorting and the stink of 2,000 pigs and the chaos when Jesus permitted those demons to enter the herd. Uh, when they went over the cliff, that would seem to uh, pork lovers to be a waste of good ham. But for the Jews, think about this, for the Jews, um, this would be the destruction of the most unclean of animals. And maybe a picture of the final judgment, maybe a picture of hell, of sinners going to their ultimate demise. Because, of course, those who are going to hell are the unclean in the Bible, right? Uh, those who have not gone to Jesus uh, to be cleansed of their sins. So Jesus essentially won the victory over Satan at the cross. The first head crushing. Satan's put on a leash, severely limited compared to before Jesus' coming. In principle, at that time, Jesus has won the victory and now it's the mop-up period until the second coming when Satan and his demons and all who follow them and have not turned to Jesus will be thrown finally once and for all into hell, the lake of fire. Uh, this, that's the second and the final and the ultimate crushing of Satan's head once and for all, forever and ever. In between that first and second crushing and coming, that's the time we're living in. And in, in that time, we're called to join in the battle, in the mop-up operation, to wear the full armor of God, knowing and being encouraged as we do that that Satan does not have free reign anymore. He's bound, and his complete end is coming. First Peter calls us to resist him in our lives. Resist him and stand firm in the faith, and he will flee, we read. We can be confident that we can resist him, that he will flee because of the power of the cross, because we have the victorious Jesus in our hearts. As we join in this battle, we also have to be prepared for what's coming because the Bible makes it pretty clear that in the last times, just before Jesus' final and second coming, the devil is going to be unleashed again for a little while. Sort of one last hurrah. Revelation 27, 20 verse 7 talks about that. And as we look at culture, Around us, the evil people are capable of, the level of persecution of believers all around the world that we don't always pay so much attention to because really, as of yet, we, we've got it pretty good here in the United States. But, but all that and, and even 
what we're seeing more and more in our country, right? It makes us wonder if that time of, of Satan's unleashing is, is getting near. And, and we're called to prepare ourselves for that time. Prepare our families for what's coming. You know, today is not the day to be less and less committed to Jesus and his church. Though we see a lessening commitment, uh, you know, we talk about mega churches and there are areas, there are churches that are doing great, and, but overall, people in churches, members of churches, we see it everywhere, we see it here, people are less committed to the church and God's word and hearing God's word. This is not a time to be less committed as an individual or with your family. Uh, This is a time to prepare for the last battle, to strengthen the muscles of our faith, which happens best when we hear God's word. It happens best through prayer that Lambert was encouraging us to, and it happens best by being at the center of God's people, a living, vibrant, active, involved, present member of God's church. That's that's what's coming. Satan unleashed to do his best to take as many people down with him before the end to hell as he can. And we've got to be prepared. But after that intense demonic attack and persecution at the end, the Bible tells us Jesus will come, he'll swoop in, he'll get rid of Satan once and for all, and he'll bring his people safely to glory. In the meantime, may we hear and may we follow uh, the great commission that we have, that Matthew gives us in Matthew 28 at the end of the gospel, obeying the go that's there. Go and make disciples and teach We can obey, and we can have success in the Great Commission's go because of the go of Jesus in our miracle, because Satan has been bound. Uh, We go, we make disciples, teaching those who need to know to resist the devil, to find security in Jesus and his death and resurrection. This is what we're here for as a church. Will we care enough to join in the mission and be excited about it and be involved in it, unlike these lousy villagers from the town who cared more about those pigs than the two men who were freed from demons? They cared more about their possessions and their wealth than the Savior Jesus. We're having a congregational meeting next week after the morning service, like John mentioned. And, and sometimes when we think about the Great Commission, we can think uh, of being part of the Great Commission and us and people joining the, in the Great Commission almost in ways that are overly exotic or overly spiritualized. And by overly exotic, I mean we think, well, 
uh, the missionaries we support on the mission field, well, those are the people that are really part of the Great Commission. Or when I go to another country uh, to serve those in need, well, then I'm really on the front lines. And those are really important things uh, to serve those in need around the world, uh, to support our missionaries. But it's also as practical and concrete as being involved in electing church leaders, voting for these elders and deacons next week. It's as practical and concrete as supporting uh, the budget, which supports our mission. It's that practical. You can be involved in the Great Commission in those ways, in all sorts of other ways. You can join this historic battle as part of God's flock, the church, through our prayers, through your presence, through your service. So let's keep praying and working together at Faith CRC so that people, starting with each one of us, will taste the victory of Satan's head crushing as we point them to and as they take refuge in Jesus Christ. Amen, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we're thankful so much for the promise way back in the beginning after Satan came into the garden, after our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned and fell, that uh, you would take care of evil that came into the world and Uh, Thank you, Lord, that you won the victory on the cross. Thank you, Lord, that uh, Satan is is bound uh, in in our day. And as if we take refuge in Jesus, he cannot harm us. He cannot hurt us. Lord, we look forward to that day uh, when Jesus will put an end uh, to Satan and his demons and uh, all his enemies. Help us to prepare for that day, especially that time in the end uh, when Satan is unleashed. Protect us. Help us find our shelter in you. Bless our church as we seek uh, to point people to Jesus and, and, and let people know that Jesus is our refuge. Help each one of us uh, to be ever committed to you, Lord, and, and hold us. May we be part of your, your flock Bless this church as uh, we seek to be part of of your great commission. Lord, when temptations from Satan and the devil come to us as leaders, as church members, uh, to, to distance ourselves from your mission, from your church, Lord, help us especially then to resist Satan, to stay close to you, uh, to be ready for Jesus' coming. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you have the victory, and in you, we all have the victory. Help us to be part of the battle. Keep us safe. We know that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing several verses of A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Would you stand to sing?